You are listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. Selfies and even selfie stick. Even I've done that here, making fun of those selfies. But I've been watching... Rick Steves Europe. Anyone watch Rick Steves Europe on PBS? That's a great show. And he looks at uh, the old like French castles of the 1500s, and they would get not. It's not selfies, not a quick little snapshot in the bathroom, but they would pose for days for someone to paint their portrait. So it's not just today. We're as a species self-centered and self-involved, and yeah, not just today, but always. That's always been. Our condition is humans because, well, since the fall, because pride is the mother of all sins, we might say. And pride leads to self-centeredness. So because of that, because as a species, as human beings, we tend to be very self-centered and inward-focused, that can become a problem in our walk with Jesus, in our particularly in the sanctification process. And we're kind of closing that section in Romans tonight on sanctification. So Romans is an essay on salvation. Paul is writing through the Holy Spirit an essay on salvation, how it all works. And it's laid out very systematically that the just shall live by faith is his thesis statement. That's what he's proving in this letter. And he's gone through a few different sections. First is the condemnation section. That's chapters like 1 through 3. And this tells us that everybody is sinful, everybody is deserving of God's wrath, and everybody is destined for hell because they're separated from God. And then chapters 4 through 6 explains how God deals with that problem, although He doesn't have to. He sends His Son to make payment for our sins in order to justify us, is the theological term, justification. And that's the act of God declaring us innocent from the payment of our sin. Even though we're guilty of our sin, we're innocent of the payment. That's justification. Chapters 6 through 8, which we're just ending tonight, is about sanctification. This is our walk with Jesus. This is what happens after we are justified, after we have repented of our sin and turned to Jesus and asked Him for forgiveness of our sin. That's day one. And the rest of our life is sanctification, growing in holiness, growing in our relationship with Jesus, because now the Holy Spirit is living within us and enabling us to live a different changed life. Well, like I said, we're self-centered as non-Christians and as Christians. And I find it in the sanctification, particularly, a lot of times we focus on ourselves. I know I do that a lot. I get way too self-centered, self-focused, inward-focused. And we think, I mean, the Bible deals with this specifically. It says in Galatians, Paul writes, Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? And this is a problem that's been a problem all since the New Testament times, where we, I think as Christians, we would all say, yeah, we're saved by grace. That's Jesus alone, and that's true. 
But, and we would always say that, but we can act in a practical sense once we're saved that we need to earn it now or we need to justify our salvation. And that leads us to become self-centered, inward-focused, and that takes the joy out of our sanctification and growing with Jesus because it's the power of the Holy Spirit that does that. And then being self-centered in our sanctification process lessens the power of the gospel. It lessens, you know, the good news that Jesus paid for our sins. It makes it look like it's just a chore and it's, it's not all the joy that it really is. And we can become either, like I said, self-centered in our sanctification or Christ-centered. Now, I do all the self-centered things. You know, that's how I know about this. We all, again, tend to, can get in that season of life where we're self-centered in our sanctification. But this is kind of a contrast. This is how it plays itself out. In all aspects of Christianity, we can be Christ-centered in our prayer, which means when we pray, we pray that God's will will be done on earth through us. And the purpose of our prayer is primarily to see God's will and get our will aligned with His. That's Christ-centered. But self-centered prayer says, God, I want my will to be done in heaven because it's not being done on earth. And we're using our prayer to get things out of God. There's nothing wrong with asking God for things. But if that's the primary focus of your prayer is for yourself, that's a self-centered sanctification. Or we can be Christ-centered or self-centered in our reading of the Bible. Christ-centered Bible reading is reading the Bible to learn about Jesus. Because the whole Bible is about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. It's a book about Jesus. And it's a book about God's plan of redemption for humanity that we don't deserve forgiveness for our sins but god loves his people and saves them and the whole book is about that so christ-centered bible reading is reading the bible to see jesus to see our own sin and repent of that sin versus a self-centered way to read the bible is to read the bible to find out about me what does the bible have to say about me and there is stuff in there i'm not saying that i'm saying if that's primarily the focus of your Bible reading is to understand yourself. The Bible is a book about Jesus, not a book about us. Or a lot of times we can read the Bible to affirm what we already believe. We want the Bible to back up our pre-existing beliefs rather than be transformed by God's Word. We can be Christ-centered or self-centered in our view of sin. A Christ-centered view of sin says, my sin is hurting God. Forgive me, and I'm repenting because I'm hurting God in my sin. Self-centered view of sin says, my sin is hurting me, and God, I want you to make me feel better about my sin. Tell me I'm forgiven. Tell me these things make me feel better about what I've done. A Christ-centered view of church says, I want to serve others by using the gifts that God has given me. And it's about service, and it's about love. Versus a self-centered view of church is going to a church to be served, or to say, I need to be fed, rather than being the one feeding. That's Christ-centered versus self-centered. Or, God, a Christ-centered view of God, says, how can I serve and glorify God? Because He is God, and He's above me, and He's in authority. Versus, a self-centered view of God is, how can God give me what I want? How can God serve me to get my deeper desires? Like Maybe you want financial stability or something so you pray for that and you're using god to get your financial stability then financial stability is your god and god is your little genie who grants your wish if you say you if you think you say the words correctly 
But God is God and we worship him because he's God, not because we can manipulate him to give us what we want. That's a self-centered view of God. So again, this plays itself out in all the areas that being Christ-centered or self-centered in our sanctification. And Christianity is completely all about Jesus. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. And we worship Jesus because He is God and He's worthy. Not because He can give us, you know, whatever things we might desire, but we worship Him because He is God. And we recognize our place in the universe in submission to Him. So the cure for, maybe I shouldn't say cure, I don't know if we'll ever be cured, but what helps in this, if we're self-centered, is, like it says in Hebrews, to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And the more we keep our eyes on Jesus and less on ourselves, the more joy we have in our Christian walk, the more we glorify God and worship Him when we look at Jesus, not at ourselves. So, like I said, we're self-centered a lot of times in our Christianity, but the answer to that is Jesus. Because everything about Christianity depends on Jesus. We need to take our focus off of us and put it on Him. So we're going to read tonight Romans chapter 8 verses 31 through 39 is maybe some of the most encouraging verses in the whole Bible. These are awesome. All of Romans 8, I mean I've broken it up into four sermons because there's so much in Romans 8, but this is like the climax of the letter. This is Paul has been building up here how we are condemned, we're justified, and sanctified. And this is the ending point of that. And then he goes on. Still, this is only like halfway point of the letter. But this is probably the climax of the letter right here. Very encouraging. And the reason why is they have nothing to do with us and have everything to do with Jesus. We should look at these verses and put our eyes on Jesus and take them off of ourselves and see what Jesus does and why we worship Jesus and that Jesus removes our condemnation, we'll see, and he removes our separation from God. And we look at these verses and we see what Jesus does. And that's why we worship him just for who he is not because He can give us the things we say we want. So these verses, when we read them, they should demolish our self-centered Christianity. They should demolish this inward look in us and help us to look to Jesus. Because there's only two things here. There's two things we're going to study, like I just said. Number one, that we are no longer condemned because of Jesus. And number two, that we are not separated from God because of Jesus. So the first point because if Jesus were not condemned, is verses 31 through 34. It says, What then shall we say to these things? I'll come back to that question later. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And because of Jesus, we are no longer condemned. Condemnation, in previous translations of King James, would say damnation. Condemnation is the punishment for our sin, the punishment that we deserve for our sin because of our rebellion to God, not just for the sins we commit, but for our sin, our sinful nature. The part of us that just wants to do what we want to do and not turn to God. Jesus removes that condemnation. Because like it says at the beginning of Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he removes the penalty 
of our sins. And this is the gospel because we start, we are condemned. We are under condemnation from God. We are subject to God's wrath and we are destined for hell because like I said, of our sins and our sin. The evil things we commit and the evil nature inside of us that causes us to commit those sins. So we're under condemnation. We're separated from God and we are condemned because He is holy and we are sinful. And we are under condemnation. And God can't just pardon that. He can't just say, yeah, whatever. Who cares about the evil people have done? Because then He's not just. So God does the only... And we can't earn our our removal of condemnation because we're not good enough to do that. We're not good enough to remove the penalty of our sin. So God Himself comes to the earth, enters into human history, takes on humanity, adds humanity to His divinity, and that's Jesus, God the Son, becomes the God-man, Jesus Christ, in order to live a perfect life without sin, so that He can remove our condemnation. So that He lives a perfect life, but yet is still murdered, and is put on a cross because He laid down His life, and He dies... And that removes our condemnation. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be His righteousness. So He takes our sin and takes our condemnation and gives us His righteousness. And then Jesus resurrects to prove that God accepted that sacrifice. We are, our condemnation is taken away and we are forgiven and Jesus defeats sin and death. And now He ascended into heaven and He's ruling with God the Father in heaven and interceding for us, like it says, like verse 34, I think. So we are under condemnation. We need to understand that if we don't get that, we're not going to get the gospel. But we are under the wrath of God because we cannot earn the removal of our condemnation by being a good person. And we cannot just be pardoned or else God is not just. So God removes our condemnation Himself by paying for it. So why are we not condemned? I mean, there's all that, but then in these verses specifically, there's five things that say we are not condemned. And it's all about what Jesus has done. It's nothing that we have done. We deserve to be condemned. Jesus removes that. So first of all, we're not condemned because God is for us. In the second part of verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? That God is for us, not you are for God. See, that's the self-centered, Christ-centered. God is for us. It's not if you are for God, who can be against you? If God is for you, then who can be against you? And it's not if, like it's a possibility, it's if that it's conditional. We could say, since God is for us, who can be against us? Because God, the one who's in the God of the universe is for us. He is for us. He died for us. Who can be against us? And feeling condemned means whatever enemy is condemning you, whether it's, you know, demonic attack or sinfulness, whatever is condemning you, if you feel that condemnation, it's, you're letting that enemy win because Jesus has already won. And He's there for you. And how often do we give those enemies the power to condemn us? But again, Jesus already won. He defeated sin and death. He defeated all of our enemies. God is for us and we have enemies, but they never win because Jesus already won. If God is for us, who can be against us? We, it's a very common verse. But if you really think about it, since God is for us, who can be against us? There's no condemnation because God is for us. Number two... 
There's no condemnation because he gave us his son. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So this is a greater to lesser argument. It's saying if God has already given us this, if God has already died for us, why is he going to hold out on you from removing condemnation? He already died for you. So if he's already given you the greatest thing, he's not going to hold out on you the lesser thing unless it's not good for you. And he would know that because he's God. But he's not going to hold out on you. He's already given you of his son. And it says in the Bible, in Romans, that Jesus died for you while you were a sinner. Not after you cleaned up your life or anything, but while you were a sinner, God gave his son to pay that penalty to remove that condemnation. If he did that for you while you're a sinner, how much more will he do now that you are his child? I think it says that in Romans 6 or something. That's in Romans somewhere too. And we sometimes see the cross or present the cross as a demonstration of how valuable we are. Like we're so precious to God that he died for us. Which It's not necessarily true, but the cross shows how much Not how precious we are, but how much God loves us. It starts from Him. Because as as it says in Romans also, Romans 3, no one seeks God. No one seeks God without the help of God through the Holy Spirit. And God still has mercy and He has grace and removes our condemnation. Number three, God declares us innocent, so we're not condemned. Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies So this is a good one. This is some courtroom terminology. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? We're going to get deep into God's elect next week. But for now, we'll just say that's the people God chooses to be saved are God's elect. Who's going to bring a charge against that? Who's going to come before God and say, this person is guilty of this sin when God has already paid the price for it? It says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. God, if you wanted to punish you of your sin, wouldn't have died for you on the cross so your condemnation could be removed. There's no condemnation because who can bring a charge against someone whose crime has already been paid for by the judge? Because the Bible says that God has given all authority to judge to Jesus. And Jesus is either your Savior or He's your judge. He's not both. And the first time he came, he says he didn't come to judge the world or condemn it. He came to save it. So if you accept his payment for your sin, he's your savior. He will never be your judge because he's your savior. But when he comes back again, that's to judge the earth. And then he will be your judge and he will be just. And you will be condemned to hell to pay for your sin or your sinful nature. And you won't argue with it because God is just and he knows. And you'll know exactly why you're going there. Because you rejected the payment in your life already. And again, look, it's God who justifies. But in our self-centered view of, of things, sometimes we try to justify ourselves in our sin. We're saying God has already justified you. We try to justify ourselves by making excuses for our sin. Trying to cover it up, lie about it, blaming it on other people, or blaming it on DNA, or blaming it on society. And we try to justify ourselves, but we don't have to. God is the one who justifies. God did already justify. We don't have to make ourselves feel better because there's no power in that. That's not the gospel. 
that you can make yourself feel better about your sin. That's not the point. The point is God paid the price for your sin so you can be forgiven. We've already been declared innocent, but we keep pleading our case. But God's already justified you. You're not condemned if you're His elect. If He has chosen you, we don't know that, but we know if the Holy Spirit is living in us, He's chosen you. And there's no charge against you. He's already justified it. Number four, there's no condemnation because Jesus paid the penalty. First part of verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God. So who can bring a charge against you? No one, because God already justified you. He already declared you right. Who can condemn? The only one who can condemn, it says, is Jesus. But he's the one who died for you. He's the one who resurrected. And he's the one sitting at the right hand of God right now, ruling and reigning in heaven. And he doesn't bring, he doesn't condemn you. See, this is the woman caught in adultery from John 8. It's a well-known story that there's a woman who is caught committing adultery and the religious people bring her out to kill her because that's justice, they said, is to kill her. They didn't bring the man out, but I don't know what that's about, but they didn't bring the man out. They brought out only the woman and they're all going to throw rocks at her to kill her. And Jesus comes out and says, who's ever without sin gets to throw the first rock. And they all know none of us have the right to condemn anyone because we are condemned. We are under condemnation. And Jesus is the only one who has the right to throw that stone because he's the only one without sin. And Jesus doesn't throw any stones at her. He says, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. The only one with the right to condemn God, sinless God in the flesh, the only one who can stand before you and say, I have never sinned and you are worthy. You should be condemned. You should go to hell. The only one who has the right to say that died for you. So he wouldn't say that. So you could be forgiven because he came to save the world the first time, not to condemn it. He's the only one who can say that and he doesn't. Number five, we're not condemned because Jesus is interceding. It says at the end of verse 34, who is at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And this language is from the Old Testament, from uh, the priests in the Old Testament, that they would intercede for the people. And Hebrew says that Jesus is our great high priest. That's why we don't need priests anymore. Jesus is the great high priest. He's the only mediator between God and man. He's the only one who can stand between God and man. No one else can. Because He is God and He is man. And He's interceding. So priests in the Old Testament would make sacrifices to cover sin because the wages of sin is death. And God gave a provision for when you broke His law, which He knew you would. That's the point of the law, to show you you can't keep it. He made provision that a priest could make a sacrifice. You could confess your sins on an animal and identify with the animal and put, put your sins on that animal and the priest would slit its throat and the blood would cover the sin. But the blood of an animal can only cover sin. It can't forgive sin. And they had to do it over and over and over because they kept on sinning and one animal wasn't enough. And so Jesus, God, comes to make the one-time payment, it says in the Bible, to die once for our sins because He's the perfect sacrifice because He never sinned. And as God, He has the authority to forgive sin, not just cover it up, but to forgive it. So He is our great high priest. And He, he sacrifices Himself so our sins could be forgiven. And priests also had another job that they would sort of stand between people and God and they would pray on behalf of people to God. It says right here that Jesus is interceding for us, that Jesus is our great high priest and Jesus 
prays for his saints, for his elect. The Bible says Jesus prays for us and he is interceding and he is mediating. The word in Greek is almost like a lawyer. Like Jesus is standing on our behalf, hearing our prayers and praying for us and interceding for us. That's what Jesus does. And that's what the Holy Spirit does as well. Jesus is interceding. So if the only one who has the right to condemn you dies for you so you wouldn't be condemned and is now praying for you, interceding for you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ because of Jesus. We're not condemned because of Jesus, not because of our righteous works. So Christianity is not like any other religion where God weighs your good deed against your bad deeds and decides if you go to heaven or hell. That's not Christianity. Christianity is everyone is sinful in their nature and there's nothing we can do about it. That's why God did something about it. That's why he died to pay the price. Not because of us. We don't earn no condemnation. No condemnation is grace. It's not what we deserve. It's God's favor on our lives. What we earn is condemnation. So that's why when we get self-centered in our sanctification and try to do things in our flesh to please God rather than things through the Spirit to please God, we feel condemned. That's when we feel condemned is when we're trying really hard on our own to do it without the help of the Holy Spirit. We feel condemned then because we that's what we deserve on our own. And it's only by walking through the power of the Holy Spirit and keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus that we see there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's not just no condemnation. The next point is there's no separation. No separation from God. We'll never be separated from God's love because of what Jesus has done. So verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not within ourselves. It's within Christ Jesus our Lord. We'll never be separated from God's love. So two things about this. Number one, hardships, trials, the hard seasons in life don't mean separation. They don't mean you're separated from God's love. That's what verses 35 through 37. Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul is asking, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's almost like a challenge. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or any of these trials going to separate you from the love of God? Do those trials mean God doesn't love you anymore? Do those trials mean that you and God are separate now? And it says, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. So this is part of being a Christian. Going through trials is part of being a Christian. It's not that we those things are removed. It's we go through them and we're not separated from God's love. But the, a lot of times when we're in those seasons, we think we're separated from God's love. But what he says is, yet 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So we well endure hardship. When the gospel is self-centered, it's presented like it's a self-help book. Follow this and all your problems will go away. You know, you just need to come to church and all your problems will go away. But the gospel is not a self-help book. It's the power of salvation to save people from their sin. It is going to help you. The God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to change you. But it's not a self-help book. It doesn't promise to remove all your trials from you. And when we see the gospel in a self-centered way, like it's just there to fix our problems, when our problems aren't fixed, then we get discouraged. And then we might even fall away. And that's, like Jesus says, the seed that falls on the rocky soil, that for a while it's all excited about Jesus, and then when it sees trials, it's done. Because when we think it's about us and not about God, when we're still experiencing these things, going through these trials, we feel separated from God. But again, he says, we are more than conquerors. Yeah, I like this. I'm an English teacher and I like learning languages. And in the Greek, Paul makes up a word here for more than conquerors. It's the Greek word for conqueror. And then he adds, I don't know what it is. I think I looked it up. I could try to pronounce it. I'm not gonna, because I don't have it written down. I don't speak Greek. But he adds hyper in front of it. So he makes up a word. Hyper conqueror. Like how we would say, like hyper extend. So, it's more than conqueror, a super conqueror, more than a conqueror, not in ourselves. And not just cope or deal with these things. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. It doesn't say we are more than conquerors through our hard work. We're more than conquerors through keeping our heads up. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say we're more than conquerors by, through pretending like nothing's wrong and putting the smile on our face because we're Christians. It says we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. More than conquerors only through Jesus. And now connecting with the last point, that there's no condemnation. God is not punishing you when you're experiencing trial, when you're going through hardships. God is not punishing you because there's no condemnation. Your punishment has been paid for. You may be being disciplined. You may be experiencing consequences of sin, but God is not punishing you because there's no condemnation and you're not separated from his love because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God isn't punishing you. He's refining you. My favorite biblical picture for this going through the hardships is the removing the dross from gold. And I watched a video on this on YouTube just to see what it looks like. It's, it's, it's awesome. You have gold and gold has impurities in it. In order to get the impurity out, they have to heat it up. And the gold melts pretty easily. And you see all this black stuff rise up to the surface of the gold. And they just take like a shovel and scoop it off and throw it away. And then the gold is more pure because it went through that fire. And the Bible says that's us going through those trials like it just said. That's us being more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Is the heat turned up on your life. That can either be heat and you just burn and die or it can be heat that's bringing all the impurities out to the surface, all the dross, all the nastiness, all the sin, for God to scoop it away. Because that's what the Bible says it's for. Because it's going through these times that reveal who's really our friends, reveals who, what really our sins are, reveals the depth of our depravity, and it reveals the glory of Jesus because He makes us more than conquerors through these things. But it's not just hardships don't mean separation, it's Nothing, nothing at all can separate us from God's love through Christ Jesus. 
verses 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing. And he even gets specific here. It's like Paul is hammering the point. He's saying, neither death nor life. Some people are afraid of death. Some people are afraid of life. But the Bible says to... I shouldn't have to look at this. I should know this. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I I shouldn't need my notes for that verse. To live is Christ, to die is gain. The life we live does not separate us from God's love. That would include the sins we commit. If He's forgiven you of your sins, if you've repented of your sin to Jesus and taken His payment for your sin and He's given you His righteousness and the Holy Spirit is living in you, that means even the sins you commit do not separate you from God's love. Because then it's not grace anymore. Then you're earning it. And we can get in that mentality, that self-centered mentality, where I need to earn my salvation now. You know, if you can be separated from God's love, then you do have to earn it. But nothing can separate you from God's love through Christ Jesus. Not our life and not our death. Because when we die, to die is gain, and we get to be with Jesus. It says, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. And probably what Paul is getting at here is demonic spirits, evil spirits, Satan. They know demonic spirit. There is spiritual warfare. There is negative demonic spirits that are you know fighting for people. And he's saying none of those, no, none of those demonic attacks None of the servants of Satan can separate you from God's love. Because that brings in the whole armor of God from Ephesians and all that. We're not going to get into all that, but not even demonic attacks can separate you from God's love through Christ Jesus. He says, nor things present nor things to come. Nothing we're facing now separates us from God's love. Nothing we will face separates us from God's love through Christ Jesus. Nor height nor depth. I think here, Paul's just getting like, are you getting the picture? Nothing Height nor depth, that can't separate you from God's love. And in case you don't get it yet, he says, nor any other created thing. I think that covers the basis. We can say everything or nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's if you have repented of your sin and received salvation, nothing takes that away. Nothing separates you from God's love. Nothing now or nothing to come or not this life or not the next one. But the key again is, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because our love for God doesn't start with us. We don't seek after God. God's love starts with Him. It says in 1 John 4.10, And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be propitiation for our sins. So that demonstrates God's love, that He sent His Son. It's not based on our love, because our love doesn't seek God. It's based on God's love for people, for His creation. If we base our feelings of being separated from God or not separated from God on our love, that's when we feel distant from Him. Because without Jesus, we are separated from God's love. That's what sin does. It separates us from God. So when we try to base it on us, when we try to get self-centered about it, we do feel separated. Because without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, we are. So if you... Weeks ago, I was at a youth retreat in by Cascade, Idaho, at Lake Cascade, and I went swimming with my kids. It was awesome. And I went in the lake with my daughter, Nora. She's two and a half, if you don't know her. And most of the time, she just sat right by the shore, 
just kind of played in the sand. But there was one point where she got adventurous and wanted to go out in the deeper part of the lake. And I could still touch the ground, but she couldn't. So she was holding on to me, and we were walking through the lake and pretending to be superheroes and all that. It was, it was an awesome time. She was pretty scared. She was pretty scared of falling in the water. I mean, she had a life jacket on, but she was, she was very scared. And what would have happened to my daughter Nora if she would have let go of me? Would I have just let her fall to the bottom of the lake and watch her drown? No. It didn't matter if she let go of me because I was holding on to her. Because I'm her dad and I was holding on to her. She could let go all she wanted. She's not going to fall. And God is a father. And that's why nothing separates us from his love through Christ Jesus. Because he's holding on to us. He is upholding us by the power of his right hand, it says. He is holding on to us. It doesn't take us clinging to him to stop us from drowning. Because if we let go, he's still there holding us. If we're his children through the payment of Jesus on the cross. He's not going to let go. He's a father. And you can let go. It doesn't mean you're separated. He's still there. So now let's go back to conclude to the very beginning of these verses. It says, What then shall we say to these things? So there's the question. I mean, that's what we just read, but also all of Romans up to this point. All of Romans that says that we are condemned. We are deserving of punishment and hell because of our sins. And we're separated from God because of our sins. But God pays the price so that we don't have to be condemned and we don't have to be separated. That's what all of Romans has been about so far. What shall we say to these things? So Christians, what shall we say to these things? That we deserve to be condemned and we're not because of Jesus. That we deserve to be separated from God, but we're not because of Jesus. Should we say... I feel condemned. There's nothing I can do. Should we be saying, I feel so distant from God? Should we say, ugh, I have to serve. Ugh, I have to pray. Ugh, I have to go to church. Like it's some big chore and it's about us. What should we say to these things? We should worship and we should worship God for who He is. Not because we can manipulate Him to give us what we want. Not because He makes us feel better about ourselves. But what we should say to these things is to worship Him. Because it doesn't depend on you. It depends on Jesus. And He's dependable. All of His promises are a yes. Everything God says comes true. All His promises are a yes. So it doesn't depend on you. It depends on Jesus. And He already did the work. And so there should be joy in our salvation because it doesn't depend on us. But if you're not a Christian, if you haven't given your sin to Jesus and received righteousness from Him, you need to know you are condemned. And you might spend your whole life fighting that and trying to tell yourself you're not. There's no such thing as God. Or there's no, no such thing as condemnation. There's no such thing as hell. Why would you be fighting it so hard if there's no such thing as it? And you are separated from God because of your sin. And there's nothing you can do to be connected with Him. Because the way you connect to God is through the Holy Spirit. God Himself enters you by the whole power of the Holy Spirit and you're connected with Him. So what shall you say to these things if you don't know Jesus? You're going to turn up your nose at it and say, whatever, it's not true. Or not even that, because it's not just non-believers, it's not just other religions, it's also the majority of this country who calls themselves Christians, but aren't really, that haven't really repented of their sin, that are still living under condemnation and still separated from God, but thinking that everything's okay because they're not against it. 
That's not how it is. But Christians, the Holy Spirit living in us, what shall we say to these things? Let's just worship and praise Him and thank Him for who He is and keep our eyes on Jesus. Because, because of what He's done, nothing condemns us and nothing can separate us from God's love through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You had mercy on me and on all my brothers and sisters because we deserve to be condemned we deserve to be separated from you but but you saved us god and you gave us mercy and i thank you for that and i praise you for it and help us to respond to these things in a way that befits you with giving you worship and honor and praise and glory and father i pray that you'd send the holy spirit in our hearts right now to just worship you and fill us with just praise father i pray you send the holy spirit to those who don't know you that are listening and you're working on them and softening their hearts. Father, show them that they don't need to be condemned. They don't need to be separated. And they can be connected with you through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, 